Gilman Scholars, this is your captain speaking. Get ready for takeoff. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the A. Gilman Podcast, a podcast produced by the Benjamin A. Gilman Scholarship Team. It's me, Sarah Murray, and today I am joined by Robin Abelis a 2008 Gilman Scholarship recipient who is a professional bassist turned physician's assistant. Welcome, Robin, and I can't wait to tell our listeners more about your journey from music to medicine. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's no problem at all. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I was a uh, professional bassist uh, born and raised in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, Played music professionally for about 18 years and then made the transition from music to medicine. And now I've been an emergency medicine physician assistant for the past two years and I'm transitioning into critical care now. Pretty cool. And you received your scholarship to travel to South America in 2008. Could you tell us a bit more about what topics your courses of study covered while in Chile, and what were some of the initial challenges that you may have faced while you were there? Sure. Um, Yeah, I was studying classical music performance with uh, a Chilean bass player down there named um, Elian Ortiz. That's pretty cool. I was studying Spanish um, while there. I was also taking um, classes uh, at the music conservatory while I was there. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the mountains. Um, and you asked about initial challenges. Um, I guess uh, one of the things that had happened, so it takes a, a lot of energy um, and planning to get something like this off the ground, especially I play the instrument, the double bass, which isn't like the violin or or the piccolo per se. It's a very large instrument. And so um, traveling internationally with one of those uh, takes a lot of planning as well as um, finding a spot in a conservatory um, with a teacher that will accept you. Um, And so it took about two years for me to line up, um, you know, the conservatory and the teacher um, and all the funding and all the scholarships. And um, when I arrived there, uh, I had found out that the the university I was uh, going to be studying at had fired the entire music department and was re uh, rehiring um, new music professors, none of which I had met or knew anything about me. And so uh, that was the initial challenge was, well, here I am, I have all my funding in line, um, and I'm supposed to spend the next year here in a foreign oh country studying with somebody who had been okayed by my professor back in New Mexico, the Gilman Scholarship, uh, all the rest of my uh, grants and funding were based off that as well. And so um, it was an initial challenge to do so, uh, but it was a blessing in disguise. What ended up happening uh, was I ended up studying with Elian still. Um, um, rather than spending an hour uh, in a private lesson in the conservatory, I would go to his house every morning. We would, uh, we would spend pretty much, you know, five to six hours together um, studying everything from uh, orchestration to solfege, which is the uh, verbalization of, of music, uh, reading music, to actual bass. Um, and I wouldn't have had that opportunity had he not been fired. I would have and more, you know, another Mm -hmm. student at the conservatory. And that turned into actually a lot of professional gigs down there Mm because he, he needed to find um, areas for me to play, actually perform, not to study. And so I played with um, a couple professional orchestras while I was down there. So the initial, you know, instability and surprise turned into a wonderful uh, experience of being able to kind of be part, more part of his family. And we became very close. Um, so it was a very wonderful exchange, actually, that, that had happened through that kind of initial hiccup. 
I mean, I'll be honest, I'm grateful to hear that it kind of being a complete 180 for you and ended up being such an amazing, also, I guess, unique experience than you, you would have had otherwise. Yeah, it really did. And, um, and I don't think I would have had the same experience had I been, you know, just every another another foreign exchange student down there in that situation. Um, every, you know, everything happens for a reason. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And the Gilman scholarship throughout the whole thing, too, was very flexible. They were like, yep, this is what you came to do. We're going to support you. You know, there wasn't any like, you know, any sort of negation on their behalf. They were very supportive. Well, we try. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know that you as well as our listeners all know the phrase, you know, practice really makes perfect, especially when it comes to language, mm-hmm. though. And you've mentioned before that you were able to practice uh, quite a bit of Spanish while in Chile. How did perfecting your Spanish while in South America prep you for your professional life that you held in New Mexico? Well, I, I think the interesting part about being a foreign exchange student is that, especially being an American, when you get to a foreign country, almost everybody else is really wanting to learn English and they want to speak English with you, um, including members of my you know, sure. base family down there. They're very excited that here was this, you know, American who they could practice English with. But at some point, I kind of just stopped speaking English to everybody. And I knew that, you know, with this year, I had to get ahead. Um, I mean, I was, I was fluent, um, but I wasn't like, uh, I wasn't by any means flying with it, you know. Um, and, and so I kind of gave myself um, the, the permission not to speak English while I was down there and just put myself in as many situations as I possibly could that um, English just wasn't an option. And so I just That's spoke impressive. Spanish. Um, I got to learn uh, basically confidence within myself that I can communicate and understand. And it's Chilean Spanish, which is different. I really did a deep dive with it while I was down there. Um, and so what that's done for me as a, as a medical provider is that any patient that speaks Spanish, I, I can go see. Um, there is no need for me to use an interpreter. The only time I use an interpreter is when I'm doubting that I'm understanding the patient correctly. And I think that speaks also just in general, the impact that it can have learning language in the country where it's spoken. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You really get a lot of chances to practice. I know for me, when I traveled to Germany while in undergrad for a few weeks, only knowing a few phrases of German here and there, I found that I learned more German and actually felt more comfortable speaking the language than I did practicing Spanish for nearly, I want to guesstimate, 10 years in the classroom and then traveling to Spain while in high school. Yeah, that's amazing. What it does, you know, when your boots on the ground and that, you know, in the culture there, it really does help. Yeah, in the culture. That immersion is so So essential. essential. Um, (laughs) But you talked about a very unique case where you had that feeling of instability when you arrived in Chile for the first few weeks. That is super common, maybe not necessarily to your specifications of instability, but in general, that feeling is very, very much shared across people who travel internationally for study abroad. And I can also imagine that your day-to-day practice as a physician's assistant undoubtedly can come with some unstable and unpredictable territory at times. What have you and your team at at the University of New Mexico Sciences Center previously experienced um, in terms of instability, unpredictability, since the pandemic has hit its apex in the United States? Ah, good question. So, I mean, I I work in the emergency department there. um, And so it's, it's, uh, unpredictable in its nature. You never know what's going to come in the door. You know, you pick up the next chart in the rack and you have no idea what, you know, what you're going to see. I can imagine that. Um, and, and being the only level one trauma center in the region, um, we get the sickest of the sickest patients. So mm-hmm. 
um, you really just have to always have, you know, um, an open mind and be ready for just about anything um, and kind of have to love that realm of life to begin with, which is um, something I do thrive off of. I think when people are at their worst, I'm at my best. Um, when things are unpredictable, I'm having the best time ever. So good to know. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, found your calling. <laughs> I have. I definitely have. Um, so uh, how we as a team kind of address that, I mean, this was a very interesting situation for just about everybody in the world, um, but for medicine in particular, and I'm a relatively new practitioner. I graduated from PA school in 2018, and I had an emergency uh, medical services background. So I knew the lingo and I knew, you know, you know, a lot of what it goes into. And we had studied in class in my EMT courses, my, um, my emergency medical uh, services courses and in PA school, um, it kind of the, the hierarchy and the structure of the systems that you're going to use in, in a situation like a pandemic. So it was very interesting. Um, I think, uh, to see all of that stuff rolled out and see how good of a job UNM did. Um, I was just constantly blown away and a little bit overwhelmed by the amount of information that we got. I think everybody was. And I think for the most part, you know, I think the general, uh, general population uh, also did this, but us in the medical world, we did a deep dive into study right when this thing came out, especially all of us new practitioners. I remember sitting around with a bunch of the newer PAs and residents and, and we were just all talking about all this, you know, all the reading that we mm -hmm. had done and all the science um, that we were trying to catch up on um, in order to prepare for this and understand it. And I think initially it was a little bit overwhelming. That kind of tapered off as we, you know, got deeper into the pandemic. And, and I think what happened is we had a bunch of ideas about what this was going to be like, um, even though we didn't know anything about what it was going to be like, but we were trying to be super prepared. Um, and this is all you can do. Right, exactly. And the systems that were set up in the hospital were, were great, but they did have to do a little bit of troubleshooting. I mean, we, we basically restructured the entire emergency department. Um, we, we created different triage centers for, for people who we were testing for COVID, for people who had symptoms for COVID, um, for people who we were worried um, might be very sick from COVID. And then on top of that, we of course had to deal with all of the other patients that we deal with on a normal basis. And so then having to restructure and reuse existing um, buildings and existing you know, infrastructure in order to do something that none of us had ever been asked to do before, um, it was, was really exciting scary and um also yeah also uh it gave me a lot of confidence in 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 our team that you know that they were That's able so to, to to pull it off would you say that you had a main role so to speak yeah so my main role um on the team is i'm a practitioner um as a physician assistant i function just as a doctor does um to the patient you don't know the difference I basically do 99% of what doctors can do in the emergency department. There's, there's lots of special things I can't do. Um, and, and I always have a doctor that I can confer with if I need to. And um, I, I always, you know, I have that at my, um, in my tool bag. <laughs> I learn a ton from them, but my main role is basically, I, I fill that role of your practitioner. Good to know. <laughs> and then, 
the cultural landscape of New Mexico is very diverse, um, given the geographic area of the U.S. where it's located, with Hispanic and Native American groups having some of the largest representation there. Could you tell us more about what growing up in this diverse demographic was like? Yeah, uh, it was it was unique and it was wonderful. Um, so uh, I um, grew up. Uh, my mother is a is a um, liberal feminist and my father is a Republican. Um, and we grew up on a street in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is a very liberal city. Um, and, uh, but has very deep cultural roots. Um, the, there was native Americans there, um, when the conquistadors from Spain got there. And then on top of that long history, there was the Americans that then arrived and intermixed with the other native tribes that had been coming and going. Um, and then so by the time I was born, um, there was basically this, uh, this culture that had, um, that had natives, uh, Hispanics, um, and white people all living together, really kind of all functioning together um, as a society. Um, I grew up uh, understanding what the, the conquistadors were all about. Um, uh, what, um, basically what, you know, what, what that culture was. And then, and then actually after that, you know, I spent 18 years in the Native American band. We, we traveled to all of the lower 48, um, on tour. Um, that was my main gig, um, for the majority of my music career being a part of that, you know, and there was all cultures within that band as well. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it's kind of unique coming from New Mexico. You don't really, you know, I don't think you get that, you know, everywhere else in the world. Most definitely. Yeah. And, and that kind of also set me up so that like anytime I travel, I had done all of that stuff before I had even, you know, gone to travel abroad as a student. Anytime I travel, I kind of feel as though New Mexico set me up to understand any culture. As we traveled and spent 18 years together, just really like got to be comfortable in just about any environment we went to because I just realized how similar we all are. Most definitely. And then could you tell us from your perspective and from your understanding, how have these Hispanic and tribal communities that are very much um, represented in New Mexico, how have they been affected by the COVID pandemic? I think um, from talking with my colleagues at, at University of New Mexico, um, it, it seems as though the uh, Navajo Nation has been the most heavily hit by COVID. Um, and um, I think that that is mostly because of their geographics. Um, all the other pueblos um, in New Mexico, most of the other pueblos, um, have borders that they can um, patrol and guard. They have roads that go in and out, um, and they have set up checkpoints, um, making sure that you don't have a fever and that you live there. Um, and if uh, so, they're, they're able to control their population um, and the movements very well, very effectively. Um, the Navajo Nation is not like that. It's um, a broad stretch of land that covers um, northwestern New Mexico, northeastern Arizona, and I'm not sure about the Utah or California aspect of it, but um, they are native people that live out mm -hmm. there. And so there's not that type of geographical protection that I think that they saw. They're also demographically, they're living, um, as probably a lot of other populations are, 
um, multi-generational within a small, um, within small living spaces. And so if one person in the house gets sick, you know, they're pretty much all going to get sick. Jeez, um, that's yeah. Right. And so I think, I think that's the population that we have been most concerned about and that has seen the largest numbers. Well, thanks for providing that insight sure. that I think our listeners as well as the broader America needs to be aware how different communities of color, but especially the Native Americans have been adversely affected in some capacity, whether it's geographic or access to medicine, things along those lines that have impacted people and why COVID has been able to spread and adversely affect certain people in different groups. So thank you for that insight. Absolutely. It's greatly appreciated. And as, as we all know by now, you have had somewhat of an up and close and personal involvement in the pandemic, and you've seen a lot of its impact. You've been able to describe it for us before already. For those of us who are not involved in medicine in any capacity, what are some of the barriers that you're seeing most recently to really fighting this disease as, as it's progressed much longer than people have predicted it to? And what can people do to start really helping to limit the spread even more than we already have? The, the biggest things we can do to help limit the spread is a lot of self-care at this point. Um, we are on a marathon here, and I think everybody understands, you know, uh, the basics of, you know, hygiene and, and facial yes. coverings. Hopefully um, by now, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at least everybody's heard them. Um, so I think that the next step is just to kind of take care of ourselves here um, and both, you know, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. I think um, I see a lot of our, our, our team focused very much on being able to make sure that you had enough time off and um, get outside and breathe some fresh air. Um, and knowing that it's okay to take your mask off in, the, in nature, you know, I think, you know, kind of giving yourself a resemblance of normal, you know, so that you can recharge is important in anything that you're doing in life. Nobody knows what the future looks like. Um, and so if we are, can treat ourselves like marathon runners and pace ourselves and, you know, give ourselves good nutrition, follow the basics, um, you know, give ourselves, you know, the resemblances of normal and, and those little bits of happiness that we can give ourselves, I think we'll have enough resilience to get through. And I think that's the biggest part right now, because there's so much other stress that has been brought about by this, that, you know, we have to deal with. And so whatever your, whatever your access to happiness is, I think that's a big part to be able to, you know, take care of. Yes, I think that that sentiment is super important to remember because mental and emotional health, all encompassing self care, is a big part that helps physical care, um, physical health overall, I should say, perform as well as it can be when your mental and emotional health is Absolutely. also there. So thank you yeah. so much for that. Um, but that was actually all the key questions that I had for today. But before <laughs> I let you go, I did want to ask you a question that I've been asking all of our guests to conclude our episodes with. What is a dream travel destination or international experience that you would like to have in the future? Yeah, well, you know, when you sent that question initially, like I, I tried to narrow it down to one, but I couldn't. And so <laughs> I've got two for you. Um, I'll take two. Yeah, so first I would like to go to um, Zermatt in uh, Switzerland and uh, spend some time flying with their uh, medical emergency services team there. They have one of the, the coolest mountain rescue um, ambulances on earth. And uh, I would love to go spend some time. Uh, the other is um, I haven't done much or any travel at all in the East. And uh, I love Eastern religions and philosophy. Um, and so, you know, anything over in that area, Tibet, um, 
Thailand, China, you know, anything like that, I think I would love to see. Well, Robin, it has been an absolute pleasure having you and thank you so much for sharing your insight and um, being part of the front lines of the COVID pandemic. And is there a way for our listeners to get in contact with you after this episode airs? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, my LinkedIn page is probably the best way to reach me. I will definitely respond to you there. A huge thank you again to Robin for joining us today. And for all of our listeners, please make sure that you're subscribed so that you are the first to know about upcoming episodes, such as our next one, launching November 2nd. And if you have some time, please leave us a review so that we can hear your thoughts on the podcast thus far. Okay, till next time.